the Lord is with us. Those are comforting words. We should believe them. It's not just children who need to believe that. All of us need to believe that. We're in the book of Haggai. <clears throat> a little book. A minor prophet. Not minor in power. Not minor in the, the message he delivered. Just a small book. A small little message. A small powerful message. The book of Haggai addresses the remnant of God's people who returned to Judah from captivity in Babylon. They were to rebuild the house of the Lord, but instead they've spent much of the last 15 years since Haggai speaks his message. They spent much of the last 15 years building their own homes and disregarding the Lord's house and the work that he commanded them to do. God had sent his prophet, God sends his prophet Haggai to inform the people of the Lord that the drought that has brought much suffering upon them and the constant lack that they are experiencing is a direct result of leaving the Lord's house in ruins. And he commands them to consider their ways. Our text today is going to be Haggai chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. Four verses. Follow with me as I read this text. Haggai 1, verse 12. Then the Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent them and the people feared the presence of the Lord. Then Haggai the Lord's messenger spoke the Lord's message to the people saying, I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit dwelling in your people, that you would open our hearts and open our minds, that you would illuminate this word, that, Lord, it would be as water to wash over our minds, to renew our minds, and to conform our minds to the mind of Christ. Lord, that you would, through your word, mold us and shape us and transform us and conform us to the very image of Christ, the Lord of glory. Father, we ask this, that you would be glorified in your church, in the earth. That we would give witness not only to men on the earth, but to principalities and powers 
in heavenly places, making known the manifold wisdom of God through his church, through the redeemed of the Lord. Father, we ask that you would do this, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. God sent his word to his people through his prophets. Haggai was one of many prophetic voices the Lord sent to his people through their long history. God is still speaking to his people today. Now he speaks to us by his son. This is what Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2 teaches us. He speaks to us today by his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the living word of God revealed to us by the Holy Spirit, made known to us in the word of God, the Holy Scriptures. Haggai delivered the word of the Lord and the people responded. Remember, we've said this before, that the gospel always initiates a response. It could be ignoring the word of God, it could be responding to in faith to the word of God. But the gospel, the word of the Lord, always initiates a response. The word of God provokes a response, and this is why it should be our message. There are two notable things in verse 12. The first, the leaders and all the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet. In other words, they listened to the man of God. They listened to the prophet. They listened to the words of God, and they responded in faith and obedience to God's word. The second thing we see is the people feared the presence of the Lord. Scripture teaches that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and understanding. The very term, the fear of the Lord, is something that has fallen out of favor today. It's something that, that is not very often mentioned from pulpits because it scares people, and we don't want to scare people. And we want to teach people they shouldn't be afraid of God. And there is a way we should not be afraid of God, but there is also a way we should fear the Lord. And if we rightly know who the Lord is, if we rightly understand His holiness, His righteousness, His complete and utter otherness than who we are, there is an inherent right, holy fear that His people should have when they consider who this God is and what we actually deserve from this God that in his grace he has not given to us. If you are his child today, you are not receiving what you deserve. If you are his child today, you have received his grace, not his wrath. He has given you his favor and stayed his anger to make you his child. And make no mistake about it, you did not make yourself his child. He made you his child. It was his choice, not yours. The people obeyed and feared the Lord in a right and holy way. When operating in faith, 
Obedience and the fear of the Lord are two powerful things that bring the Lord's blessing on His people. It is faith that pleases God. In fact, Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. Our disobedience and rebellious actions are a sign of our unbelief, our lack of faith. This is what was happening in Haggai's day. The people of Judah had returned from their captivity, but their, their apathy, their complacency was actually a sign of their unbelief, their lack of faith. Conversely, our obedience and our faithful actions are a sign of our faith, our trust in the Lord. In Deuteronomy 28, the Word of God lays out the blessings for obedience and the curse for disobedience. This promise of blessing presupposes the faith of God's people resulting in faithful living. In other words, our faith is to produce a faithful life. Faith is not something we only speak of. It is what we are to live. It should be manifest through our life, through our actions. Concerning our faith, if our words are not matched by our works, our words are powerless and our works dead. Faith must not only be heard in our words, but seen in our works. Our faith is to be lived out. We walk by faith, not by sight. The just shall live by faith. This is the word of the Lord. This is what the scripture teaches us. As we walk by faith in obedience, we are to walk knowing that the Lord is with us. If we're walking by faith in obedience to the Lord, we never, ever, ever have to wonder whether the Lord is with us. Verse 13 then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. Those words, I am with you. That is the Lord's message of comfort to his people, spoken after they obeyed in faith. Now, they didn't earn those words. Don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Those words were spoken after they obeyed in faith, and these words of comfort came after God spoke stern words of discipline to his people, warning them, remember, to consider their ways. The Lord had called for a drought on the land, on man and on beast, on everything that the ground produced, on all of the labor of their hands. This judgment came as a result of their disobedience rooted in unbelief. That's what all disobedience is rooted in. Our disobedience is rooted in unbelief. Now we can say with our mouth, I trust the Lord, and then betray that with how we live our life. Though through it all, the bitter and the sweet, the Lord was never not with his people. So in the midst of the drought, when the land would produce nothing, when they were suffering, it's not that the Lord was not with them. He was with them. In the midst of all of that drought and scarcity that the Lord brought upon his people in judgment for their sinful disobedience, he was always with them. 
In his goodness, he withheld his blessing from them to bring them to repentance. I'm going to say that again. Because this is the God that we don't like to think about. This is the God we want to pretend doesn't really exist. The God who in his goodness will withhold blessing from his people in order to bring them to repentance. He could have forsaken them, but in his grace he did not. He is ever with his people. He is with us. We find it easy to believe that God is with us when we are living with abundance all around, when we have all we need and all we want, when there is no perceived lack. However, when tribulation and the fiery trial comes, when the abundance is dried up, when we realize that we are in true need, we may be tempted to think that the Lord is not with us. In our abundance, we may be tempted to forget our need for the Lord altogether. In our lack, we may believe that God has forsaken us and is no longer with us. Our need for the Lord is constant, whether we have plenty or whether we have none. It is constant in all times and in all circumstances. He is with us. He does not leave us nor forsake us. He is the good shepherd and we are his sheep. Humans tend to judge God's faithfulness by their circumstances in life rather than the character of God and the truth of his word. We do this because we fail to rightly discern our sin and his holiness. We believe if we are good sin managers, God will bless us. But the reality is our sin is unmanageable. You can't manage your sin. And there is nothing we can ever do to merit God's favor and his blessing. We have earned nothing. What we have, we have only by the grace of God. In other words, it is all grace, all the time, in all things. I once talked with someone going through a very fiery trial that had the potential to result in that person's death. And they mused that they did not know what they had done so wrong to deserve this. Or perhaps God was using this test to prepare them for a promotion. And I told them I did not believe their situation has anything to do with what they did wrong or what they did right. God is the author of his story. He is the author of our lives. He is the author of our faith and the finisher of it, the scripture teaches us. We are part of his story, but he, not we, is the main character. We forget that, I think, and think that we are the main characters of our life, and we are not the main characters of our life. God is the character. He is the main character. This is his story. He's writing his story, and we are privileged. We are graced just to be a part of it. Good. 
Because that's the truth. We're graced to be a part of God's story. This life and all that it holds is not about us. It is about Him. Whether we understand it or not, whether we know why or not, God has a plan and a purpose in everything. That is true for the most bitter of circumstances we find ourselves in or the most sweet. We can wonder why all day long, but it is not ours to wonder why ours is to do and die. That's from the charge of the Light Brigade when the British troops were sent to their death into an impossible situation. And they might say, why are we sent on this impossible mission? And the response was, it's not for us to wonder why, but for us to do or die. But for us, it's not do or die. For us, it's do and die, because death is certain for all of us. None of us will escape death. That is our calling. We are created by God to do according to his plan and purpose, and one day we die. The good news is that in Christ, death has no power over us. To die is only a transition from this life to the next. That's why we should not fear it. We are all eternal beings who will live eternally. The question is where? Where will we live for eternity? With him or without him? If you are in Christ and you know you will live with him through eternity, there is no reason for you to fear death. If you don't have that assurance, you're going to want to live as, lo as long as you can on this earth. Because when you leave this earth, you will depart and be separated from him for eternity. That's not a good thing. The lyrics of a song by Matt Redman are true. When the sun is shining down on me and the world is all that it should be, blessed be the name of the Lord. Well, that's easy. The challenge is in the next verse which reads, on the road marked with suffering, though there's pain in the offering, blessed be the name of the Lord. God is always with us in sun-filled bliss or dark, empty suffering. In all things, his name is to be blessed. In Christ, the Lord is always with us and we are with him. When God brings discipline to his children or when hard things happen that are unexplained, it's not because he is not with us. Quite the contrary. It is because he is with us and he loves us. God promises in his word that he is with us even when his judgment is poured out in order to bring his strayed children back to him. He is with us. When hard or tragic things happen, when there is no discernible purpose we can find, trust Him. He is always with us, and He is always good. The promise that the Lord is with us is a constant promise He makes to His people. The promise that He is with us is based on His character, not ours. It is based on His grace, 
not our works. If we truly received what we deserve, we all would be recipients of his heaviest wrath. Instead, by grace, he has given us salvation in his Son. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, and verse 23, present to us the true human condition apart from God's grace. Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. That is very purposeful language. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Verse 23, Paul goes on and he writes these words, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is who we are apart from God's saving grace. Without Christ and dead in our sin. With not even a desire for the true and living God. How then can anyone be saved? How then can anyone escape his wrath? The answer, only by his grace. Only by his grace. That grace given to us, that faith given to us in Jesus Christ. When we were dead in trespasses and sins, we were made alive in him. That was not our doing, but his. Having received his gift of grace with faith, we are now alive with his new life. Man has forsaken God, but God never forsakes his people. The Father's discipline and judgment is proof of his faithful love for his children. There is no greater demonstration of love than the wrath of the Father poured out on his Son for the salvation of his people. In saving us, our lives testify to his wisdom, his grace, and his love. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul concerning our witness, even in tribulation. Ephesians 3, verse 10. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Paul presents our life as a witness to powers and principalities in the heavenly places. Besides the obvious witness, we are to be to those around us on the earth. He also links tribulation with glory. The link between tribulation and glory is even more clear in his second letter to the church at Corinth. Listen to his words in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18. 
Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Excuse me. I hope I have a voice. Paul is certainly not telling us to be so heavenly minded that we are of no earthly good. On the contrary, he is exhorting us to be so heavenly minded that we are of eternal earthly good. Living in the Spirit's power, focused on God's glory, we make an eternal difference Having been here on this earth, our lives are to make an eternal difference having been here on this earth. And it is less important to know exactly how we make a difference. People very often will talk to me about this. I just want to know what my purpose is. I just want to know what my place is. I just want to know what God's going to use my life for. And my response is, stop worrying about that. Just live every day for His glory. Just walk every day in obedience to Him. Trust Him every day. And God will lead you and guide you. And He will accomplish His plan and His purpose that He has ordained for your life, that He created and placed right here on this earth. Thank you, Mr. Bradley. Uh, You will not lose your reward. (laughs) Oh, that's so good. I think I'll take another sip. Sure. You know when you have that little tickle in your throat? So I want you to hear this because this is important. Don't waste your time trying to figure out what you're supposed to do. Now I'm not saying don't plan for your life, don't be wise, don't don't do those things. I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. I want you to hear what I'm saying. We get so caught up in trying to figure out what God's got planned for my life and what He's going to do with me and where He's going to do it and how He's going to do it. And we just need to get down to the business of living. We just need to get down to the business of following Him, obeying Him, and doing what He has commanded us to do. And we know that He has commanded us to be immersed in the work of the ministry. That's why I'm here as your pastor, to equip you for the work of the ministry until we all come to the unity of the faith. So we got some work to do. 
And it's gonna, not going to happen overnight. We know that God has called us, Christ has commissioned us to go and to make disciples. At the very least, we're all called to do that. We're all called as children of God to be disciples and to make disciples. So it's less important to know exactly how we make a difference. What is most important is knowing that we are living each and every day for His glory. Everything else resides in His providential hands. The Lord told Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. That of eternal value is only by His spirit, never by our own power. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, verse 14, the son of Shiltiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. I want you to notice that God is very detailed in this description here. The remnant of all the people. He stirred up the spirit of all the remnant of the people, and they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. The Lord stirred up the spirit of the people. The word stirred up means to rouse awake to a state of readiness to do a task, to be made ready mentally and physically, to open the eyes, to awaken. <clears throat> means to wake up. That's, that's what it means. He woke them up in a good way, not a bad way. This certainly has practical, physical implications, but the understanding here is much more than being physically awake. The Lord stirred up the spirit of the people to a spiritual awakening. That's what we need today. We need a spiritual awakening. What needs to be made woke is our spirit, not our culture. Not our social engagements. We need a spiritual awakening. The stirring by the Lord brought the needed spiritual awakening and the people responded in obedience to the Lord. Their former sloth was brought on by a spiritual blindness and a sinful sleep. God in His grace was stirring them up, rousing them to a state of spiritual awakening and readiness. <clears throat> their eyes were open, and they had arisen from their spiritual slumber. This is the picture that we're seeing here. What's taking place here by the word of the Lord through the prophet Haggai is a true spiritual awakening of the people of Judah. The people came awake and began to obediently work on the house of the Lord. This was the result of God's Spirit stirring their spirits to obey the word of the Lord. The people's work was not by might, it was not by power, it was by the Spirit of the Lord of hosts. The Lord stirred up their spirits and this is how the work was accomplished. Work apart from faith in the Spirit only adds sin to sin. In other words, man can do many good works from his own resources, in his own power, but that does not mean that they are done in faith with the leading of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah writes and he says, your good works are like filthy, rotten, stinking rags to me. 
I won't tell you what kind of rags those are the prophets talking about there, but just trust me. They're nasty. God says, that's what your good works are to me. Man's plans are often the preparation of his own heart and not the Lord. Isaiah chapter 30 verse 1, Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, who take counsel but not of me, and who devise plans but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. This is what the people did when they neglected the work on the house of the Lord for their own houses. When they took counsel, it was not of the Lord. They devised plans, but it was not of His Spirit. And all of their good work was only adding sin to sin. We do the very same thing when we take counsel, but not of the Lord. When we devise our own plans, but not of the Holy Spirit. We may work hard, but we're simply adding sin to sin. We're living in a day and a time when the Lord's people are being tossed to and fro. There is much double-mindedness in the church today, if you haven't noticed. Many are trying to walk a path to please both the Lord and the world. We have erroneously believed we can make the Lord and His gospel more appealing to the world if we can make Him and His message more closely conformed to the world. There's a lot of work taking place, but I don't think men have, have counseled with the Lord, and I don't believe they're following the Spirit of the Lord. Knowingly or not, we have resorted to the deceitful tactics and tricks of our enemy. From the preparations of his own heart, man seeks to manipulate the truth and justify the lie. Instead of trusting in the gospel, which is the power of God to salvation, we see men trusting in their own schemes and compromises with the world. Men trust the power of their lies to move the hearts of men more than they trust the power of the gospel. We know this is true because we see too many men and women from the pulpits of the church promoting the lies of the world while compromising the truth of God's word. We cannot speak from both sides of our mouth at once. We have entertained the lie as we have allowed the world to pummel the church into submission. God is not mocked, nor is he panicking. He has seen this before. Listen to Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. This is exactly what's happening right now in our nation, in our culture. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. The Lord sits in the heavens. He laughs as he watches and waits in his long suffering with us. In his time, in his time, he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. And do not think that he will not, for he will in his time. 
Remember, the name of this message is Knowing the Time. Well, it's time for the church to cry out in humble repentance. It's time to pray and seek the face of God. It's time to turn from our sin and turn our hearts to Him to pray that He will stir our spirits and awaken us to the work that He commands us to do, to believe upon His name, to make disciples, to preach the gospel of the kingdom, to work and pray and see His kingdom come, His will be done on earth as it is in heaven, yes, even here in Taylor, Texas, and Central Texas. This is our work. This is what the Lord must stir our spirits to do. We must feel the urgency and cry out to Him. We must turn from our wicked ways, from our own apathetic, complacent ways, from our own plans, and turn to Him and His ways and seek His face. And if we do this, He promises to hear from heaven and to heal our land. This is his word. This is his promise to us. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. Our spirits must be stirred by his spirit, not the spirit of the world. And this is what we're seeing in too much of the church today. The church has been stirred by the spirit of the world. And you have good men of God, solid men of God, or they once were, who've gone woke under the pressure of the world, because the pressure in the world is so great right now that many are compromising to keep from being canceled by the culture. Many are afraid to speak up, much less step up. Even men who not too many years ago appeared as strong, solid, trustworthy teachers and preachers, they have compromised. Critical race theory, social justice, and other social constructs rooted in godless ideologies have not only infiltrated the church, they have been largely embraced by the church. And what these things are designed for is to break us free, to deliver us from the bondage of God. That's what they want to do. They want to deliver our culture, our society, from the bondage of God. Because they are godless. Now churches and denominations can make all kinds of competing statements and tell you why that's not really the case. They're not using these things for that reason. But it doesn't really matter. Once you add that into the gospel, you have distracted from and compromised the gospel. The statements issued justifying the adoption of things like critical race theory and intersectionality. Do you know what intersectionality is? If I am a... If I were, for instance, a man who identified as a woman and was homosexual and a minority... I got, I got four areas. I got multiple areas of intersectionality there. When I'm discriminated against, when I'm oppressed, I'm oppressed as a minority. I'm oppressed as a homosexual. I'm oppressed as a, as a, a, a man who identifies as a woman, and I'm oppressed as a woman. That's what intersectionality. So you look at all these ways that people can be oppressed. Let's add them all together. And if we've got six ways a person can be impressed in one person, then we've got six oppressive acts there. It's not only confusing. It's just, it's just wicked. It's sin. 
that's not rooted and grounded in the truth. These statements justifying these theories to determine whether we're treating people right or not are the only evidence needed of the compromise that we see churches and movements fall into. What we need is God's word. What we need is the gospel. It tells us how to love one another, how to treat one another, how to be Christ to one another. We don't, we don't need these other theories. Anything we feel we need to add to the gospel will only serve to detract from it. There is no theory or social construct we need to add to the gospel. The gospel alone is the power of God to salvation. It is the greatest remedy for all our sin. And sin is the problem. The gospel saves us from sin. Nothing else can save us. No social justice movement can save us from sin. These movements are designed to tear down, to destroy the foundations of our faith, not save it. The creators of these theories know this, and many of its proponents, though, do not. They're just being led along because they don't want to be canceled by the culture. And that pressure is on purpose because they know that they can scare people, they can intimidate people into complying. This is why we need to understand that God is always with us and we are to never ever fear man more than we fear God. These theories and movements are symptoms of our real problem. Sin is our problem. And all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we are all guilty. Red and yellow, black and white, we are guilty in His sight. That is until we are washed clean in the blood of the Lamb. In Christ, we are not only washed by the blood, we are made part of one new man in the Spirit. Skin color never mattered except to create a diverse and beautiful human race. In Christ, the color of our skin holds no meaning at all as we become His children by the Spirit, not by the flesh. The people of God have sunk into the slumber of their sin. They have turned to other things to be soothed. They seek the remedies of the world in order to be healed, but there is no healing in the world with its theories and its movements. The Lord is our only hope. Christ and His gospel is the only remedy for our sin. As Judah did in Haggai's day, we need the Lord to stir up our spirits today. We need the Spirit of God to move in our midst, to stir us up and to awaken us, to open our eyes that we may see what is true, that we would have the courage to obey God and to work to build His house no matter the cost. The house being built is the spiritual house offering up spiritual sacrifices. It is the house of the Lord built up with living stones. Guess what? We are those living stones. We are His house, His temple. We are the temple of the living God. It's time to work. It's time to build, even if we have to hold a sword in one hand. You know, they did that back in the day when they had to build the temple, when they returned from captivity. Because the enemies were all around them, trying to intimidate them to stop building the Lord's house. And so they would hold a sword in one hand, 
They would have that ready as they worked, as they built. Whatever they needed to do in order to obey the Lord and finish the work, that's what they did. That is the mindset we need to have today in the culture and the world we're living in today. It is time. Verse 15. Verse 15 says this, On the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of Darius the king. That is when the people went to work. When God's people are motivated, things can happen fast. Haggai initially came and brought the word of the Lord on the first day of the month. Verse 15 says on the 24th day of the month. So he brought it on the first day of the month of the sixth month in the second year. Verse 15 is on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year. In other words, the people responded and began to work on the 24th day of the month. That means in 23 days, all the remnant of the people and all the leaders went from disobedience and disregard for the Lord's work to obedience to his word and the fear of the Lord's presence. What had lingered for well over a decade was suddenly re-engaged in by all the remnant of the people in just 23 days. It would be four more years of hard work before the temple would be finished. But had the Lord not moved on his people, had he not stirred up their spirit, had he not sent the drought and the suffering, had he not sent his prophet to remind them and to give them the word of the Lord, that work would have taken even longer. It was time for the people to work. It is time now for us to work. This is our time. This is your time of visitation on this earth. And time is ticking for all of us. It's time to do the Lord's work. It's time to build his house. It's time to stand up against the world and the lies of the enemy. It's time. It's time to be courageous and not fear the culture and not fear being canceled and not fear man, not fear being called names. It's time to fear the Lord. It's time to stand up and say, I will fear man no more. The Lord is with us. We have nothing. Nothing to fear. We have everything to gain. And most importantly, the most important gain is His glory. That's what we live for. That's what we work for. Amen? Let's prepare our hearts to come to the Lord's table. You don't have to be a member of Christ Fellowship Church, but if you count yourself a member of His body, part of His covenant people, come to this table. You're welcome here. So church, welcome to the Lord's table and welcome to Jesus. We'll all be served together and we'll all eat and drink together. Here's your charge. God can do much in a short period of time with a people motivated in faith and the fear of the Lord. 
This is why God is calling his church to faithful obedience. There is much work to be done. The work of building the Lord's house has lingered. God's people have become distracted by the world. And we must regain our focus and engage in the work that he has commanded us to do. In his grace, we must seek the Lord to stir our spirits. The work that must be done is a work that can only be accomplished in his grace by the power of the Spirit working through faithful men and women motivated by the love for God and their love for one another. We have a commission to make disciples one living stone at a time. We have a house to be built up. We have a faith we must contend for. We have a gospel that is powerful. We must trust it to accomplish what only it can do. We must fear no man, but only God. As the Lord told his people then, let us now consider our ways. Now is the time to build the house of the Lord. Now is the time to awaken from our sleep. The Lord is with us. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord be with you.